Hello, everybody. This is Alex Stewart, and you are listening to episode two of the Lotox Life podcast. Today's show brings a beautiful guest, Elisa Bronner, who is the granddaughter of Dr. Bronner. Now, some of you might not have any clue what Dr. Bronner means, but if you do, you will know it's a gorgeous personal care range that started at its foundation as a soap company with a beautiful um, creation, if you like, of the Castile liquid soap that her grandfather is so famous for. Now, it's a beautiful tale today of uh, one man's vision for a better world and um, his escape from Nazi Germany, as well as a, a look into this incredibly utopian style of company that has managed to make their business not just about profit, and of course a business needs to earn money to be healthy and to advance, but also about its people so much and about sustainable core values at every turn of the production, the farms that they work with and establish to produce the products that they do. And I just know that you guys will be as inspired as I am by this brand by the end of my chat with Lisa today. So there's going to be a bunch of cleaning tips. There's going to be a few tips around uh, Lisa's advice. Um, We talk a little bit about this towards the end of today's podcast where perhaps you are really gung-ho on going low-tox, but maybe you've got some partner resistance or some family resistance. I do know this tends to happen, so we have a little chat about that too. Uh, Much, much, much good stuff is covered. I know you'll love it. And don't forget to check out those show notes at the end of today's podcast. I'll give you the details after our chat. Enjoy. Hello, everyone, and hello, Lisa Bronner. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Alex. Oh, we're be... going to have the best chat. Now, you are the PR specialist, natural cleaning ninja extraordinaire for Dr. Bronner, and you are a Bronner yourself. Yes, I am. Dr. Bronner was my grandfather, and we're still completely a family business. Oh, I just love your story, and I cannot wait to share it with everybody. So, I guess let's start there. I mean, obviously, it's a long one if you want to go into full detail. We've got all day. I find it personally a super fascinating story to hear about this incredible man who started this beautiful brand. Share with us the Dr. Bronner story. Let's start. Yes. Well, as you said, Alex, it is. it does go way back. There's a lot of details that came into play, and it's really quite a, a roundabout story. But my grandfather grew up in Germany in the town of Heilbronn. Our family were German-Jewish soap makers there, and we had three factories there in Germany. My, uh, I don't know, my great-great-grandfather's and his brothers developed the technology of liquid Castile soap, which was a, a, a new development, and they had a very successful soap company there. We have pictures of the factories. We have advertisements from the newspapers of their products and such. So it was very, very popular. Um, my grandfather had gone through the guild system in Germany and achieved the rank of master soap maker. But he and his dad didn't see eye to eye on a lot of issues, mainly my grandfather's uh, more philosophical side. They were an Orthodox Jewish family, and my grandfather had um, the great passion to embrace more of mankind, all of mankind, that we were all brothers and sisters united under one God, and we were all 
um, equal members of Spaceship Earth, he called it. And so he had these ideas that his dad saw as very radical and problematic and, and stirring up trouble. And so my great-grandfather told my granddad to either knock it off and be quiet or to leave. So my grandfather chose the second option. And he left Germany in 1929 and emigrated to the United States. And unfortunately, although his sisters eventually left in the 30s, his parents did not leave. And the factory was Aryanized, sold to an Aryan family for a dollar. And we have the letter. Really? family that this had happened and then my great-grandparents perished in the concentration camps in the 40s so my grandfather found himself in the United States he worked as a chemist a consultant to various soap making companies and was equally passionate about this desire to unite the spaceship earth and he really could not have separated these two parts of himself this science scientific side of himself and this philosophical side of himself. So he was constantly working in both arenas. And so he was also very passionate about environmental causes. And if you think about it, back in the you know 30s, 40s, there wasn't really a big audience for that sort of topic. And so he was speaking to whomever would listen as loudly as he could on issues that people hadn't really heard of. And one Gosh, of his he would have biggest... made a great running mate for Bernie Sanders, wouldn't he? <laughs> <laughs> <Not> even imagine. <laughs> that would be that would be quite a sight. So yeah. yeah, so he was talking about things like fluoridation, which here in the United States it hasn't gone away at all. We still have a lot of debate on the ethics and the wisdom of fluoridating our water supply. It's almost universally done now, but my grandfather was was ardently opposed to it. And so he would speak on these topics, especially to universities where generally new ideas are, are more welcomed. And he would speak on these topics. And after one particularly impassioned speech in the city of Chicago, he uh, was arrested. Wow. And the charge levied against him was for speaking without a permit. But most likely uh, there was some prejudice happening here because you have this man with a very strong German accent in the middle of World War II. Uh, yes, he's Jewish, but, you know, that seemed to not be an important fact. And, uh, you know, sounding like he's stirring up trouble talking about these crazy things that nobody else knows anything about or cares about. So, unfortunately, in the aftermath of that arrest, his sister, who was a professor of chemistry at Boston College in the United States, uh, she was convinced to sign papers to institutionalize him in a mental hospital in Elgin, Illinois, not too far from the city of Chicago. So he was institutionalized. His children, my dad and uh, my uncle and aunt, were placed in foster care, and he was there for quite some time. He, he tried to escape several times, and on the third time he was successful, and he hitchhiked 2,000 miles to Los Angeles, where he finally returned to his roots and started making the soap again. But he wasn't one to leave behind that philosophical side. He developed his ideas into sort of a cohesive, uh, cohesive a theory called the moral ABC, mm -hmm. and it was the rules for living and for living together and living with oneself. 
So he would go out into the public squares in Los Angeles and he would speak on his philosophy and when people would come to listen to him, he would give them a bottle of soap as a thank you. But he eventually noticed that people were taking the soap and not staying to listen to him speak. <laughs> and so that's when he wrote his philosophy on the label so that when they took the soap, they would take the ideas with them and they would get stuck in the bathroom and they would be reading his ideas. So that's how the soap came to have the label that it has with all the writing on it and all the different sayings on it. He was inspired by people, uh, scientists and philosophers and athletes and politicians and authors of all sorts, poets. He just put them all together and... Um, Anybody that inspired him was on that label. So the label grew in conjunction with the soap. Uh, he very much held fast to the environmental causes of uh, no, not using chemicals in the products. Um, or He was organic before. Organic meant organic, well, that it means today. And then in the 70s, he kind of was discovered, so to speak, by the hippies and the countercultural uh, movement then. And... And they, he finally found an audience, and so the soap really took off then. The peppermint was the original, still is our biggest seller, the, the blue bottle. And uh, then it really grew through the 70s and the 80s. And ah. so then, yeah, it, he lost his eyesight in the, in the late 60s, and that didn't stop him. It's really a story of tenacity and perseverance and really hope. Mm. Uh, all the things that, that happened to him that could have squelched him or embittered him and, and none of it did. He kept going. Such an incredible man, right? I mean, just such a beautiful story and so much tragedy in there as well when you think about the family history and, you know, a lot of the time we read this in history books, but we can't have a conversation with someone who says, oh, yeah, that happened to my great-grandparents or and it really yes. brings it home that these things are real and that in today's society we need to be very vigilant to not let those things spiral into that kind of which uh, is obviously an issue today in the US as unfortunately it is in Australia as well you just see how easily how fragile we are when in the face of fear and how quickly well-meaning people can start following the wrong people um, who take us down some pretty scary paths so yes yes mm. you're right yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, so obviously we're not here to talk politics, but we are here to talk Castile soap. <laughs> Can you Absolutely. share with? I know, and you could do that till the till the cows come home. My grandmother would not have separated these these two topics at all. No, and, and I think this is together. why I love Perfect. your brand because I don't either. I think it's all linked, and I just. You know, it's funny, the, the people who get it find the brand, right? We've, we realize that the interconnection between nature, between our value system, and therefore what we choose to or don't choose to buy, choose to or don't choose to follow, it's all linked. Um, That's absolutely right. Yeah. So what is Castile Soap? For the completely uninitiated in our audience, how do we describe it? What, what makes it different? What makes it what it is? Absolutely. Well, Castile soap originated in the Castile region of Spain. It was developed by uh, the Castilian monks there, and it was a soap made from olive oil. And uh, initially, the term Castile soap meant pure olive oil soap. And this soap is made the way soap has been made for millennia, the way it was discovered, where the 
fats from the cooking pot dribbled into the ashes of the fire. And that's what you need to make soap. They combine. And then when you get them wet, you notice, oh, wow, it's bubbly and it's leaving um, clean spots behind it. That is what soap is. It, it's, a, it's fats uh, combined with a strong alkali, such as ashes, um, the chemical term for those, uh, those, those compounds are sodium hydroxide or potassium hydroxide, more commonly called lye. All soap is made from that. And so Castile soap was novel because it was vegetable-based. It was olive oil-based. Nowadays, Castile refers to a broader range, but still vegetable oil-based soap, as opposed to um, tallow or other animal product oils, um, and definitely no petrochemicals in there. Mm -hmm. So when you take uh, a vegetable oils and you saponify it, you turn it into soap by reacting it with a strong alkali, such as sodium hydroxide, which is lye, then you get... Uh, Castile soap, and the soap is uh, gentle and mild, uh, and yet highly effective. Yeah, because if you Google lye on its own, that's not so gentle, right? If, on its own, it's yeah. actually not so great for us. But it's needed to create the soap, is what. You're yes, saying. it's yeah. beautiful reaction. I mean, I, I love chemistry, and uh, the reaction of soap is if you take if you take a, a molecule of oil, picture it as like the letter E. You've got the backbone and you have three, uh, three fatty acid chains. The backbone is glycerin and then you have three fatty acid chains coming off of that backbone. That's why it's called a triglyceride, three glycerin, three, three fatty acids and one glycerin. Well, it's a really strong bond there and you've got to break it in order to make soap. So it requires something as powerful as lye, a sodium hydroxide, to blast that apart. And then you've got this glycerin and these fatty acids floating around. And the, uh, the glycerin ends up free-floating. The acids form, the, uh, the fatty acids form the soap. And then you also get water out of that reaction as well. So it's a beautiful thing. All parts of both substances are consumed, the alkali plus the oil. So you don't have extra oils in the soap. You don't have extra uh, alkali, uh, sodium hydroxide floating around in there. And it, it, it makes a beautiful new thing. And, of course, we, we, we know what we're doing, and we uh, test every batch to make sure nothing went wrong and there's not extra of either ingredient there. Yeah. Um, that's a really good segue to talk about the factory. When we shared lunch last year, uh, you let me in on how amazingly well you guys as a small family business, not so small being that we have an international um, presence of Dr. Bronner, but small in the, in the sense that you're not a multinational and, and all that sort of stuff. It's, it's really um, beautiful that you guys still run it. And the care with which you run the factory. Can you talk to us a little bit about your sustainability vision? Because I think that's a beautiful carry-on for your from your grandfather's mission as well. Absolutely, and it was. My grandfather had this uh, part of his theory was constructive capitalism, which mm. is that any company that manufactures their products are manufactured. Uh, um, from the ground up and every person in that chain is an, an important and valuable part of that and the profits from the company should be shared with every worker that produced it and so he called this constructive capitalism and we still hold true to this idea 
So we have uh, this company that is still entirely family owned and operated. My brother, my mom, my husband, yeah. um, lots of lots of, and we have lots of other people that work for us as well. Uh, but it's still still family, and we value every person in it. And so what this looks like is that we have things like salary caps, where the highest paid person in the company can't make more than five times what the lowest fully vested employee oh makes. Oh my gosh, I love that. I just love that. It is so it's good. Not, it's not necessary to, to do more, or, you know, to, to make more. And what, where would we be without, you know, the, the people who are doing every step of, of the soap production? And so we have that. We have 100% covered health care, uh, which um, non-deductible non health care, and we have a profit sharing and bonuses really valuing each of these employees. And what it means is that we have very little employee turnover. Mm. And so uh, employee turnover really slows down a business uh, needing to find and train new people. So we were able to, to move along at a good clip because uh, we keep our people. But the other thing that we are aware of as a company, the interconnectedness of everything that we do. So we may be a soap company, but we use products that are grown from the earth. So we use a lot of coconut oil, a lot of olive oil, a lot of palm oil. We'll talk about that. Yeah. And all of these, um, all of these products, the way we use them, the way the ones that we buy, it reverberates around the world. And so if we are going to support agriculture through our purchases, that is unsustainable, that is destructive to the environment, that is degrading to the farmers that are growing it, that is just tearing apart systems, whether it's environmental systems, socioeconomic systems. If, if our purchases, our voting dollars are tearing apart these systems, then, then that is not a sustainable business practice. Mm. So the decisions that we make as a company, we really try to think, okay, what are the far-reaching effects of what we're doing, of where we're putting our money, of the people that we're interacting with, and that sort of thing, and making sure that we are leaving the world a better place because of our work in it, uh, not creating problems for people down the road or even for ourselves tomorrow. Just beautiful. And obviously the bottles are made of plastic. Can you talk to us about what you guys do? Because there's an incredible effort made um, in that sense as well. When we spoke before, you obviously mentioned given that a lot of them are used in the bath and around kids, we can't, I mean, glass is just not an option. Um, so plastic it is. But how you're recycling through the factory I think is magic. So if you could talk to us a little bit about that, that would be awesome too. Yes. Well, the thing with plastic is that, first of all, there are many, many different types of plastic. And some of, some of the issues have made the headlines with the uh, BPA and other contaminants in our plastics. Uh, our plastic has none of that in it. We were the first manufacturing company to use a 100% post-consumer recycled plastic bottle. Mm -hmm. And what this means is that the, the plastic in our soap bottles is entirely from recycled sources. There, you are able as a manufacturing company to claim recycled content, but it's uh, when it's it's content that's come from pre-consumer use. So, for example, a manufacturing plant manufactured plastic bottles. They had some scraps that never went 
out to the consumers, and those were just easily recaptured and sent off to a company that then can claim recycled ah, content. Okay. Yeah. So this 100% post-consumer recycled bottle means that this is the plastic that went into people's houses. They were the water bottles that people used, the the containers that they put in their little recycling bin that you know got picked up and taken off somewhere. This is that plastic. It's mm -hmm. it's post-consumer recycled. And so we were the first company to be able or to to use it. Uh, just so that we are not developing or not utilizing new plastic, um, but we're providing a market for this, uh, all these recyclables. It's wonderful. Um, so there's basically no new plastic being produced to produce your bottles. Right. It's a beautiful right. thing. And oh, so how do we, um, oh. just so I can get it right in my mind, is it the recycling factories that go, this plastic goes there, this plastic there, this plastic there, and just the PET one goes this way and that gets, and that's how you know it's BPA free? No, the BPA free is, uh, depends upon the type of plastic. Mm, yeah. And honestly, there are more plastics than I can speak knowledgeably about. But if you look on the bottom of plastic bottles, uh, at least in the States, it's the oh, case it's the I assume here, there, yeah, yeah. you have the, you have the um, triangle um, yeah. with the arrows and there's a number in the middle. Mm -hmm. And that number in the middle will tell you what type of plastic it is. And so our plastic is PET1. Yes. And so that means it's the purest type of plastic and it, it does not have um, the bisphenol A, the BPA. In it, uh, so if you if you uh, that's what I know about the plastics is that the number one is is, is a good one. Number two is also recyclable, um, but it can go up to up to six, um, seven, and eight, more. which we actually cover in the course. So everyone's yeah. everyone's hip with the plastics. And um, well, and yeah. the other thing I'll point out is that if somebody does want to avoid plastics, we do have our bar soaps, which are wrapped in post-consumer recycled paper and, uh, you know, very compostable, biodegradable paper that, uh, you know, creates much less waste if you're very concerned about that. Mm. And I love the sandalwood one. That's the one I use. It's so beautiful. Yeah. That's, and it lasts and lasts and lasts. My gosh. I've used so many natural bar soaps that literally dissipate and evaporate in a month and, you know, mm -hmm. get all slimy and fall apart. Um, but the Dr. Bronner one, I took one to each of my aunties when we were in Mauritius last week. I've got a lot of family there. And it's just such a lovely, beautifully packed, you know, you give everybody a different colour. And it's something from the heart as well. You can tell a nice story. So, yeah, anyway, as you oh, can tell, big nice. fan. All good. Um, so we've talked plastics. Let's talk something else that a lot of people find quite controversial and often because again we don't know enough about it we see um, an activist campaign mounted against palm oil and we think oh my gosh you know animals are dying yes I'm, I'm behind it and a lot of them try to tell you there's nothing such as sustainable palm oil however in speaking to um, your brand and a couple of other huge very eco-minded brands you guys have found a way to do it and I would love to hear your thoughts on palm oil why it's a great oil to use in the soap making business firstly so what's the motivation to be trying mm -hmm. to use it in the first place and then how you've gone about um, employing it in your products in a sustainable way 
Yes, you're absolutely right. Palm oil has gotten a lot of media attention and justly so. There are a lot of problems with palm oil mm. right now. But unfortunately, as you said, the message that people are getting is that palm oil is bad, is evil, it should be universally shunned, and there's no way that you can produce it without destroying the environment and the habitats of primates and that sort of thing. So we do use palm oil in, in our bar soaps and in our liquid soaps. It's an excellent soap for the body. It's very, um, very nutrient-filled and moisturizing for our skin. It leaves behind a very soft afterfeel. And so we actually have increased our use of palm oil. Uh, we, uh, we recently added it to our liquid soaps as well. It's always been in the bar soaps. And so the palm oil that we use, though, we don't want to contribute to habitat loss and to deforestation, uh, which is prevalent with the palm oil industry. And I think the reason why it's skyrocketed so much is its use in processed foods. Mm, absolutely. Yeah, it's a shelf-stable oil. It doesn't go rancid. And as, as uh, processed foods are becoming more and more common, palm oil has has skyrocketed with it so so we've been using it for years but it's kind of new on the consciousness of consumers what we did is the issue with palm oil is that when it is grown in Malaysia and in Indonesia the 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 methodology is to clear cut rainforest um, and to deprive uh, primates specifically orangutans of their habitat and it is totally unsustainable. That wasn't going to work for us. So there wasn't, though, a source of palm oil in the world big enough for our needs. So what we did is that we founded our own sister company in the country of Ghana on the western coast of Africa, where there is also a supply of palm, palm trees, uh, but there aren't primates that live there, and there uh, is the ability to farm there without destroying rainforests. And we, we set up this company that we call Surrenda Palm there in Ghana. We have trained the farmers in how to use organic practices in their agriculture. We've trained them in composting um, and, and reusing, reusing their waste and such, uh, and we've set up a factory that is producing palm oil sustainably and ethically. It's a regenerative process, not just keeping the status quo, but actually building the soil and, and returning nutrients to it. So, so Surrender Palm has been doing fabulously in Ghana. It's, it's supplied all of our needs uh, for our palm oil, and we've been able to sell it to I was just about to ask, so how do we, because sustainable palm is a bit of a catchphrase and sometimes if you do a bit of digging, it's unfortunately actually not sustainable. How do we find these sorts of um, palm oil operations that we can trust? You that, is, that is the tricky thing. It is tricky, uh, right? Yeah. <laughs> because there are, you know, neat sounding alliances and federations that, yeah. uh, aren't necessarily what they what they claim to be uh, and it, it takes a very very savvy consumer to look into a company to dig deeply to see where they're coming from and honestly I would I would look and see at how transparent the company yeah. is being how, how much do they let you see what's happening there exactly. and we have two documentaries on our website where you are seeing our people in Ghana uh, you're seeing what the operation looks like 
we have, um, because it's fair trade and part of fair trade is community benefit, mm -hmm. we ran a, a campaign several years back to provide bed nets for the entire community there. And it was so successful. We had so much of a response from our customers, uh, which we matched a dollar for dollar, that we were able to build a maternity ward on their hospital there. But I'm getting away from your question of how does a consumer know? No, so, but I think uh, this is you're now you're speaking to the idea that transparency and sharing about how things work and how um, how you can use um, farming to create economy and to build wealth into a local community there, which is just magic. It's, you know, and at yeah. the same time, not devastate rainforests, not kill orangutans, and do palm oil well. Uh, it's it's really refreshing to know that we can, in in terms of the choices that we make as businesses as we grow, we can say, right, we need this ingredient because it's absolutely the most effective ingredient. How are we going to create um, uh, an environment for this to be okay for us to use as opposed to, ah, oh, well, I guess this is that fork in the road where we say we've finally got to start being unsustainable because it's good for business. You know, the, we never have to yeah. make that choice if we're brave no, enough. There's always a better way. Mm. Always a better way. Yeah. Um, oh, I just love that. Okay, so another controversial um, ingredient and something that causes a bit of confusion is the sodium laurel sulfate versus sodium laureth sulfate and I know um, obviously you have one of them in the sal suds which I can see there behind you I find this to be a super effective um, cleaning uh, tool in my cleaning kit um, can you talk to us a little bit about both which is bad which is good um, and again absolutely. how you guys make it sustainable yes absolutely so we're going to leave the realm of soaps and mm. go into the realm of detergents yes okay so I know that detergent uh, summons up maybe some bad imagery of, of chemicals and toxic waste and such, but that's not necessarily the case. Mm -hmm. uh, to simplify it, to say that soap is good and detergent is bad, it, you're going to miss, miss a lot. Uh, soap can be made poorly and it can be way too harsh and have strange contaminants in it, especially if you're using animal byproducts and such. Um, and so, and detergent can be made very, very well. It can also be made very, very bad. So soap and detergent are similar in that they're both what we call surfactants. That stands for surface active agents. If you can picture a molecule, either soap or detergent molecule, as having two hands, um, we say that, that one of them is uh, water-loving or hydrophilic, and the other one is... Uh, oil loving or water hating hydrophobic so the hydrophilic side of the molecule likes to grab onto water and the oil loving side of the molecule likes to grab onto oil and together the molecule will rinse things away this is how soap works this is how detergent works mm. and so they have this similarity however uh, a detergent are, it can be more effective. Mm -hmm. There is uh, one thing that soap does not do well. Castile soap does not work well in hard water. Okay. And here in Southern California, where we have always been, we have very hard water. And so the soap reacts with the minerals in the hard water that make the water hard and perform, uh, form a precipitate, a, a whitish uh, substance 
that you'll see if you take a cup of our water here from the tap and you put some soap in it, you're going to see it turns cloudy immediately. Mm. Whereas if you take some purified water and you put our soap in it, that doesn't happen. Yeah. What that means is that if you try to use our soap on anything shiny, a mirror or a car, glasses, you're going to get a film on the on the object and that's certainly not acceptable if you're trying to get it clean. So the SALSEDS, which is our mild detergent, was developed for this exact reason, so that people could clean everything else that the soap didn't work for in a safe way that wasn't harmful to them, harmful to the environment, wasn't polluting in its production as well. Mm -hmm. And so the main ingredient in our SALSEDS is sodium laurel sulfate and that middle word is l-a-u-r-y-l now sodium laurel sulfate shows up in many many personal care products products that are meant for the body but it should not be there not because it's carcinogenic it, it cannot cause cancer but it's very irritating uh, it can be very drying to the skin and and potentially irritating it's almost universally used in toothpastes mm -hmm. because it makes the wonderful bubbles and we, we love our bubbles <laughs> and uh, a toothpaste that doesn't bubble it, it seems like there's something wrong with it uh, however the the bubbles are not necessary uh, and sodium laurel it's sulfate a psychological can thing isn't it oh because totally. I, I had to use I forgot our toothpaste on the airplane and we had a red-eye flight so we were going to go to sleep and I cannot go to sleep without brushing my teeth so I was like oh gosh I'm actually going to have to use for the first time in years the little sample toothpaste that they give you in the little pack and this foam in my mouth, <laughs> it felt like a scientific freak show. I just wasn't yes. used to it anymore and it freaked me out. I spat it out and I thought, ugh, no way. Yeah. So it's a really interesting thing that we think because of all the marketing, because of all our culture, because of all the years that we've believed something to be true, um, mm -hmm. that that's the way it should be to be right or to be perfect. Then you strip things back, reconnect with nature, choose more natural things. And if you happen to have to go back over to the other side intermittently <laughs> because you've forgotten something or you're staying at a friend's and that's how they do things, it is a real shock. You, you realize yes. how artificial those things are. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you're going to find sodium laurel sulfate, which is abbreviated as SLS, in shampoos and in toothpaste almost universally, but also in body washes and yeah. bubble baths. Oh, it's everywhere. Like so on our yeah. skin, in terms of skin contact, we do not want it to be there, right? But in terms of cleaning, when we're wearing gloves, it's super effective. It's super effective. And it's really, it's not going to cause a rash or a breakout on, I mean, I don't want to say that universally because some people are super sensitive, but for the most part, it's not if it touches your, your, your hands and your cleaning, that's totally fine. I use this stuff, goodness, all the time. Mm. Um, it's a highly effective cleaner and ours, the thing about SLS at all detergents, why they're different is that they're much more synthesized. Um, meaning that they've gone through a lot more processing in a lab. It's not as simple as our olive oil, which was pressed out of an olive and put into our soap. That's mm -hmm. pretty straightforward. Uh, SLS, it can, it can be taken from multiple sources, uh, go through a more rigorous process in, in a laboratory um, that takes that part out and, and then you have the SLS as well as a lot of other stuff that you can use. So SLS can be from petroleum sources, mm -hmm. um, but it also can be from plant sources. 
And our SLS is derived from coconut, so we don't have any of the contaminants that are an issue when you when you could derive SLS from petroleum, let's say. So the SLS that's in our south suds uh, is very mild, very safe. Uh, each of the ingredients is, we have a good paragraph on the label to make sure you know why we have it there. Um, and if you email us, uh, one of us will write back to you and, and, and help you understand things. Um, but as you also brought up, sodium lauryl sulfate has a close cousin, which is sodium laureth sulfate. And it would be awfully nice if their names were just a little bit different. But <laughs> I know, not. because everyone just goes, oh, that's the bad one. Yeah, I can't touch I know. that. Yeah. I mean, because who speaks, you know, the average person does not speak chemistry. Mm. Uh, so sodium laureth sulfate, that middle word now is L-A-U-R-E-T-H. It's abbreviated S-L-E-S is also an ingredient you're going to find in a lot of personal care products. And it really shouldn't be there. Um, and you, you don't even want this one in your home care products. The reason is that sodium laureth sulfate, the F part of that, it means it's gone through an extra process called ethoxylation. And this ethoxylation, um, which ironically they say makes it milder, less drying on the skin than SLS, However, it produces a carcinogenic byproduct, a known carcinogenic byproduct, and carcinogenic means cancer-causing. Mm. Uh, it produces a byproduct called 1,4-dioxane, mm. and unless the manufacturers are super, super careful to vacuum strip the SLES and get that 1,4-dioxane out, it will be in the final product, but you will not know it, you will not see it on the ingredient list because it's a byproduct. It wasn't added. Nobody consciously put it in. It just happened. So what came to light uh, about eight years ago, a fellow a scientist went into um, a drugstore, a pharmacy, and pulled lots of conventional, regular body care products off the shelves, including lots of baby products, kid products, that contained SLES, sodium laureth sulfate, and found that a huge majority of them tested positive for the presence of 1,4-dioxane, this carcinogenic substance, known carcin. There's, this is not a controversial, like, is it bad? No, 1,4-dioxane is bad. And so it was in all of these uh, personal care products. Uh, since then, some of those companies reformulated. But the thing is, unless you have some crazy good reassurance that they have vacuum stripped that uh, that SLES and gotten the 1,4-dioxane out, which I, nothing would guarantee that in my mind. Mm. Uh, you don't want it on your body and you don't want it in your house uh, yeah. because it is, I mean, you're dealing with cancer there. That's, that's not really something you want to mess with. No, absolutely. And I want to thank you for clearing that up because a lot of people, again, it's the it's quite similar to palm oil in the sense that a lot of activist groups group everything together in there and say these are all the different names for SLS and SLES and they're all bad. Talk to me about SLS, so laurel sulfate, as you guys are using. We use it, we bubble things up, we clean things, we have the most sparkling bath we've ever had and now it's gone, as in not us in it, but cleaned the bath and, um, and done the cleaning. Um, it's gone down the drain into the water supply. Are we cool with that? We are. Yeah. We are. All of our products, we had them tested actually for 
the sake of gray water systems mm. in Australia. Uh, we had them tested for their biodegradability. And so we have had them all tested and they all got flying colors past the biodegradability tests that they are safe for gray water systems, they're safe for septic systems, um, and even if you have neither of those, but knowing that what goes down your drain ends up in the water supply, it is safe for there as well. And if anybody would want to see those biodegradability certificates, you can email us and I'd be happy to uh, send you a copy of those. But that goes for our salsas as well as, as our soaps. Wonderful. Thank you so much because we have quite a few regional people who do the course so that's uh, or who are listening to the interview today. So that's great. Awesome. Okay, I'm going to move right along. What are we going to talk about now? I think we should talk about... Okay, this is something everyone loves to make their own stuff. And, and I think Dr. Bronner really lends itself to being part of the DIY um, fun, if you like, of, um, of feeling like we're not only just buying heaps of products, but also simplifying how many products we buy and starting to mm -hmm. use a product or a small group of products for a multiple um, set of purposes. Now, foaming hand soap is one of those things a lot of people like to make, and it's certainly one that um, I try to get people to stop buying already made because if you think about it, there's about that much actual soap in there, and it's actually the dispenser that then has the water, and then that's what makes it, it foamy. So people save a lot of money by moving to making their own foaming hand soap. Do you have any tricks for us to do this well? Yes, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, what a marketing success. I know, for, right? I mean, how to make your, your cost of goods all of a sudden overnight 10% of what they used to be. It's, cl it's clever. Exactly. I'll give them that. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. But you're basically buying a bottle of water with, yeah. with a little bit of a cleaner in it. So, yes, you don't need to do that. Our soap does work very well in foaming uh, foaming soap dispensers. We, we recommend a ratio of one part soap to three parts water. Um, and you're welcome to fiddle around with that. If, if you don't like the foaminess, you can dial it back or whatever. Uh, but that works super well. It's great for uh, kids who, you know, always use too much. Mm. <laughs> At least I do. <laughs> just put a new bottle of soap in there and it's gone. Yeah, the and triple so pump action. I'm like, no, no, no oh. need for the triple pump. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So it works really well. And the kids really like the soap, the foam, the bubble. Once again, the bubbles, it helps them get it all over their hands. Um, the thing is, our soaps, because they are so concentrated, they do not work well in regular dispensers. They, they're so close to liquid, uh, to solid, that they have just enough water in them to keep them liquid mm -hmm. that anytime the water starts to evaporate, they start to gel up and eventually solidify. And if you're putting them in a pump, a regular pump, the air that comes in through the little pump apparatus, and that seems like a very little amount of air, but it's enough, it will cause the soap to dry in the pump. It will cause a clog. It will shoot out at you. I can guarantee it will shoot at your guest, of course, when they go to wash their hands. <laughs> so, so don't put our soap in regular pumps. Um, Thank but, you. Uh, that you've, just, you've just helped me there uh, because I, I couldn't work it out because when I buy the big pumps, you know, your big hand soap pumps in all the different colors, we love the peppermint <laughs> one, and um, there's never a problem with that one. But if I put it into the pretty little one in our guest bathroom, 
it always clogs up. So I thought it was, a, a, I don't know what I thought the problem was, but there we go. I've just got to put my regular Dr. Right. Bronner pump in there. Okay, good to know. Yeah, we, we do have a product that sells, that, that works great in regular pumps. It's our it's our organic pump soap, we call it that. Mm-hmm. Um, we used to call it our Shikakai soap because, well, it has Shikakai powder in it, but uh-huh. that word stumped way too many people. So we just call it the organic <laughs> pump soap. <laughs> and so it's the same soap, nothing has changed. Uh, except the name, and it comes in a pump. But if you if you like, you can put it in in your own pump, your own pretty pump, and and use that. But the foaming pump dispensers uh, um, work perfectly well, really, really well with the Castile. So pumps. about three to one. No need to add a teaspoon of olive oil. There's a lot of recipes that suggest those sorts of things. It's just as yeah. is is fine. Yeah. I, I spend a lot of time answering questions on on that topic. Mm. Can I add essential oils? Can I add vitamin E? Uh, you know, you can, you can add whatever you want. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't, why I don't fix what isn't broke, to... right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, okay. So obviously, um, there are so many things you can do with your soap. What are your, obviously we can, I mean, there's all the regular things we can do, but what are some of the more unusual uses for Dr. Bronner? I mean, if you really take time to read everything on the label, you certainly learn quite a few. But could you share with us a few things that people might not be thinking to use it for that you can absolutely use it for? Absolutely. Well, I mean, in this day and age, it's a bit of a novelty to say that I use one soap from head to toe. I mean, you think of, mm. your, of a typical shower that has the shampoo and conditioner and the face soap and the body soap and the foot soap and the, <laughs> you know, all these different <laughs> products that are really, the Dr. Bronner soap takes care of all of them. So I wash from head to toe with it. If you want to use it on your hair, I really recommend going to my blog because uh, it's different from shampoo and you need to use a, an acidic rinse with it like vinegar or um we have a hair rinse as well. Um, so that alone, I would say, is, is a little novel. However, some of the other great uses of our soap, um, it's wonderful to use in your kitchen for, especially in areas, I don't know about you, but here, I think all of Southern California here is built on an anthill. And if we're not careful, we get quite a few visitors. Uh, however, one great use of our soap is that it erases the scent trails of ants. If you always notice, they're always following a, mm. a line. They're following a scent trail. So our soaps erase scent trails, and they also kill ants on contact. I, I never want people to hear that one first because they think, I don't want to use a soap on my body that can kill an ant. <laughs> it's, it's a very strange ability of Castile soap that it, that it dissolves the exoskeletons of insects. But it works and so I always keep a bottle, a spray bottle, with a uh, quarter cup of soap and a quart of water, uh, about a liter of water, and it will. Um, you can use it to clean your counters as well as kill the ants. So that's one great use. Uh, similarly, because it is not only biodegradable but also completely safe for the person, if you are experiencing a pest in your garden, mm. aphids, even on edible. Uh, herbs or vegetables, you can use our soap as uh, as an insect spray and and kill um, and treat your plants. Treat them a couple times a day for a few days, and and you'll take care of, of any insects that you same, don't want there. Same measurement as the ant mix. You know what? I would dilute it more just because it could burn the plant itself yeah. at that concentration. So I recommend a tablespoon 
Um, I'm so sorry. I'm not good with milliliters. Okay. Yeah, that's all right. So it's about 15 mils. Yeah. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in about a liter of water and dilute that. And I, once again, I hear people make it a little fancier. They add some cayenne pepper or some garlic. Um, you Black can do that. Black pepper essential oil, which is very good exactly. for that. Yeah, yeah. So, but the soap and water alone will, will do a great job there um, as well. So, and I, I use it for my whole house, my laundry, my mopping, uh, fingerprints on the walls, uh, as well as hand washing dishes. So, um, you just don't need to buy a whole lot of different products. You're reducing your plastic usage uh, as well as your as your grocery bill by by simplifying the number of products you buy. Yeah, and I think a lot of people who start out on the natural um, kick and want to change everything over. They want to substitute every single thing that they currently have with a natural equivalent of that exact same thing. And what I found, especially in skincare, for example, just to move off soap for a second, is I didn't need the lifting eye cream, the firming eye cream, the um, soothing face lotion, the firming face mask, the exfoliating face. Like there was just, there were so many products. <laughs> I literally use one or two things at a time, maximum, grand maximum now, and people say my skin's never looked better. So really, it's another thing that we've built up in our heads as being perfection because of all the marketing and because of our culture and because these brands are so good at creating a problem for us so that they can create a solution for us. Um, and I think it's always so refreshing, um, certainly with some of the other partners we have and yourselves in terms of the brands we work with, that it's all about simplifying and the solution being less. And right. it's just one of the best messages we can actually start to take on board because it means that switching to natural stuff isn't more stressful. We don't need to shop five billion places. We can often find in just one or two things everything we need. That is so true. And one thing I, I encourage consumers is to know what they're using. Mm. And if they're using, you know, twenty different products a day on your body, to know <laughs> what they all are, that's a lot to that's know. That's a lot of work. <laughs> if you look at uh, those ingredient lists, and especially if you're looking at conventional products, the ingredient lists, I mean, take a, a minimum of a chemistry degree to read, if not advanced degrees. Um, that's just way too much to know. And think of all the different things you're exposing your body to. And if you don't know what they are, then you're just kind of handing your health over to some marketing person who says you have a problem and they can solve it. So you're right. We want to simplify for our bodies, not expose ourselves to as much stuff, and solve a lot of our problems through prevention, such as good sleep, good diet, lots of water, exercise, reducing stress, um, these things really work uh, rather than trying to solve problems afterwards that are caused by our running our bodies down. Uh, so I agree with you completely. Yeah. Simplifying is the answer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, speaking of simplifying, one of the people in our lives that often um, is hard to move into simplifying things and using natural stuff because they might be scared or because they think it's poppycock or hippie woo-woo stuff is our partners. 
Now, um, I don't know if this has ever come up for you in the talks that you give, in the questions that people ask when you throw it to the audience, but it certainly comes up for us. And we talk about it a lot in my community, <laughs> which is how do we get the buy-in from the resistant family members? <laughs> yes, this, this, no, this one didn't come up in the talk. This one came up in my house. Now, my ah, husband is fantastic. He works for Dr. Bronner's chief operating officer. There wouldn't be Dr. Bronner's without him. However, when, <laughs> believe it or not, um, we, it took us a little bit of time to transition our household fully to greener, cleaner cleaning methods. Mm. And um, there was some issues where you we had to decide, okay, is it marital harmony or is it green cleaning? Like, where is our priority going to be? <laughs> I can just feel people laughing and eye-rolling in the virtual <laughs> In the virtual space, as you said that, is it marital harmony or is it green cleaning? Because, yes, oh, we have to pick our battles, right, sometimes. Right, mm. right. So I guess it's a bit of my personality that, first of all, I, um, I, I find that direct methods are often not the best sometimes, sometimes, and that living by example helps a lot. Now, I really feel like I'm setting my husband up as some, like, <laughs> person he's not he's wonderful Please bring him on wonderful. let's meet him yeah. <laughs> but um there was uh you know there are products such as 409 i don't know if you have that cleaner um but it's like an all-purpose household oh, spray so our equivalent is the ajax spray and wipe yeah there we go mm. there we go and and that those sort of things that really are extremely toxic i mean if a child drank it uh, you'd have a problem mm. um if dog drank it and and you rebreathe it every time we spray it so things like that um and so basically it was if i was cleaning i would use my green cleaners and if he was cleaning he would use his stuff and if i wanted it my way then i did you know i needed to do the cleaning and you know that that worked out and eventually um mine was just a little more around and a little more available <laughs> As as far as oh sorry I forgot to buy that oh well, sorry yeah, or you know I put it out on the top shelf in the garage uh, so so there there was a, I guess a little bit more of a of a transition rather than uh, I really don't recommend to anybody I'm gonna go home I'm gonna throw out everything in my cleaning cabinet and I'm gonna start afresh. Uh, you're gonna you're gonna frustrate yourself because you are realize gonna realize you don't know enough yet to make that hardcore sudden transition, you're going to frustrate the other members of your household that haven't necessarily been inspired yet. Um, I highly, highly recommend that people do it one item at a time and they work on themselves first. Yeah. Uh, you can lead be by the change. Buy the t-shirt, yes. own the mission, just be there. the change. Yeah. Yeah, and then as you know, so, so people around you uh, can see that you're looking healthy. You're you're not looking like you know. I don't know. If, I mean, I have hippies in my family, so I don't want to say that that's a bad thing. But if you don't want to look like a hippie, um, <laughs> then they can see that you still look like a perfectly normal person. Uh, you know, and you you can continue to insert appropriate comments about. Uh, how, you know, you understand what the products are, you understand the ingredients. Oh, look, it's olive oil and coconut oil. I have that in my pantry yeah. and it's in the soap. So I know that it's going to be, um, it's going to be safe. Uh, and then, you know, 
someday they might see a, a, a documentary or, or read an article and they're like, oh, you know what? I know what to do because I've been associating with this person. So I, I'm much more of a fan of the gradual transition of leading by example, uh, showing the way. And, um, you know, when it comes down to it, you can't uh, force people to change. You can't, um, it just never works in any capacity. I don't want to start a counseling session here. Yeah, but, but it is, it is a very emotional thing when you truly believe something and you've realized something and then the person that you love the most or people around you that you love think you're a lunatic. Uh, Brene Brown talks about the fact that the single most difficult thing we can do as humans is buck the status quo. It is the most difficult thing to do, to, to be different. And so we naturally want everyone to start being the same. So it, it is quite an emotional thing. Well, it is. And it, it all comes down to the what can you control and what yes. can't you control. Yes. And you cannot control somebody else's choices. No. You can influence, you can, you know, set an example, but... Uh, you can't control their choices. Um, and generally, you know, the nagging and uh, that route doesn't prosper a whole lot. It doesn't. Um, and so. as you briefly mentioned there, the documentary is a godsend in this um, transition when you want to help other people see the way because you've got scientists and doctors doing the talking. You're not having to do the talking and you can both watch something and say, how do we feel about this instead of, <laughs> I believe this and you're wrong, you know, because that's divisive as opposed to uniting. So, yeah. Right. And if we're going to, I mean, if we're talking about a situation in which there are also children involved and the decisions that we're making for the children, I mean, some of the big issues with conventional products is the amount of hormone disruption mm. that occurs with the ingredients. And who is more affected by hormone disruption than pregnant women and growing children? And so... If you if you can put your hands on some some of the many articles that are just starting to flood out of scientific circles about these common ingredients in conventional products that are known hormone disruptors, usually it's the preservatives, not always. Uh, the fragrance has a lot of hormone disruptors. The paraben preservatives mm -hmm. do. The phenethanol um, as well, which is one of those. Mm -hmm. The, oh, we've brought this in because it's safer than parabens, but it's still in the same class of, horm of hormone-disrupting chemicals. Right. And we're wondering, why, do we, why are we having all of these problems with fertility and, you know, um, other hormone-related uh, issues? And let's look at what it is that we're exposing our children to on a daily basis. Mm. And you're going to find some answers there. Absolutely. So, let, yeah, let's move on from that. That was heavy, um, but really important to talk about. And I think, you know, it's something that our community talks about a lot. I, I'm into it. No one else is. What do I do? Um, <laughs> so uh, what's, what's new and exciting? What can we be looking forward to? What are you guys excited about as a team at the moment? What should we look out for? Well, if you haven't yet seen our new toothpaste as a product, as our product line uh, has expanded, I definitely want to point your attention there. Mm -hmm. um, these are toothpaste that we developed because, as I've already mentioned, some very common ingredients in toothpaste uh, are not good for us. One of them is SLS. I have two kids that had chronic um, canker sores, and in looking at what causes them, and there's a lot of uncertainty out there, one theory was uh, SLS. So I removed 
them from SLS toothpaste and their canker sores went away. So our toothpaste is SLS free, it's fluoride free, uh, it's an excellent organic toothpaste, highly recommend that. Yeah. Uh, but also, I want to point, point out to you some of the activism that our company is doing. We still have maintained my grandfather's idea that we are part soap company, but part activist company. We sometimes call ourselves the fighting soap company. And the causes that we endorse are not necessarily connected to soap or personal care in any way. Some of them are. Uh, so we've been very active on the GMO labeling front of uh, genetically modified organisms and labeling them. Um, but one of our more recent pushes is for animal welfare and compassion in world farming mm -hmm. because there's something seriously wrong uh, here in the United States with the way that our uh, animals for food are raised. They're raised very inhumanely and really quite sickeningly. Oh, especially uh, in California, right? It's, it's hard. I mean, there are some huge cafes there that are horrible. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for uh, for uh, uh, beef as well as for poultry and hogs, and so um, you know it's it's just not right. Mm. And so we've really been trying to raise awareness of this issue because generally when someone uh, gains the knowledge that inspires them to act, they're not going to act before the knowledge. So so we've been trying to do consumer education on this issue of of, of animal welfare, endorsing farmers that are using regenerative practices that's building the soil up through their animal agriculture uh, because really it's, it's again a big interconnected cycle you cannot raise farm animals without impacting the land on which they are raised and so if you're raising them in in uh in horrible in in uh in human ways then it's going to it's going to be bad for the soil and it's, the agriculture around as well and i think it's, it's so important we're not going to um create a planet of vegans overnight and in fact I, I personally believe that the beautiful cycle of everything in nature eating something else in nature is actually quite natural so it's it's yes it's yes. a philosophy I, that I, I don't personally believe is black or white i.e we all eat plants and therefore we save the planet because if you look at plant agriculture there's a whole bunch of unsustainability in there as well especially in the GMO yes. sector so something that's really interesting if this is the work you guys are embarking upon I think it's fantastic because it is proven by many incredible farmers that you can actually use animals uh, to create better soil than when you arrived by oh, farming absolutely. animals so in fact they're our fastest track to rehabilitating um, the soils of our planet, which I find fascinating through the composting, through not just farming beef, but also hogs and chicken in tandem so they all rotate and work the land together. It's really an amazing science. Not to say that choosing a plant-based diet is wrong, of course not, but within everybody's choices there's a great choice to be made and that I think is the overarching message in all of this because then we we can all live together just despite having different beliefs sometimes I yeah I agree and we are not advocating you know universal veganism I'm not mm -hmm. a vegan uh, my my brother David who's our president he's our CEO is uh, however it is about about that cycle and you're absolutely right animals are a key part of it and they 
they need to be raised in such a way that they're that that how they use the land as nourishing it and building it up. And this is what we we are calling regenerative agriculture, um, where uh, restorative agriculture is another way where we're taking advantage of the cycle. Agriculture. Oh, I love that term. That's beautiful. <laughs> well, it's a step beyond sustainable because we mm. don't just want to sustain. No, we, we need want to, to build. restore. We really need to. Absolutely. Oh, well, that's a topic for a whole other time. I can feel another interview coming on. Sounds good. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us today, Lisa. I know there will be many, many people out there who cannot wait to get their hands on a, a bottle of Dr. Bronner, especially if it's their first. You're going to find so many uses <laughs> for it. Pour yourself a cup of tea and make time to read the whole label so you can hear about Dr. Bronner's message. And I just think if your grandfather was here today, he would just be so proud of you guys. It's just, you know, because you are living out in the best way possible everything he dreamed of, of passing on to people. And it's, it's really wonderful. So congratulations. Thank you so much, Alex. I was very glad to be part of this. Yay. Thanks, Lisa. Bye. Thank you so much for joining me for today's episode of the Low Tox Life podcast. I would love for you to check out the show notes as well, and you can find those at lowtoxlife.com forward slash podcast. Now, if there's anything that inspired you from today's episode, I would so love to hear and have you share that maybe online. Use the Lotox Life hashtag and I can be found on Twitter or Instagram at A-L-E-X-X underscore Stuart, S-T-U-A-R-T. Now, if you liked what you heard today and you want to join us again next time, subscribing is a great way to be notified of a new episode. So hit subscribe and I look forward to welcoming you next time. Bye for now. For your ears. Who is that? Hi, Puck Pass.